chapter 16, and we're going to get there in just a second. We are in a series called Making Room. This fall, we're making room, and we started last week, or the last two weeks, talking about making room for more what? Prayer, that's right. And we looked at the prayer Jabez, where God took an ordinary man and did some extraordinary things in his life. God answered his prayer. And again, I just want to say, Wednesday nights is a must. you got to come out on Wednesday nights for prayer. And uh, buy a prayer Jabez book. We're going through those. This week, Matt and Cindy are going to give some commentary on chapter 2, so you can be ready. And, uh, and then we're going to pray and seek the face of God. It's going to be awesome. But this morning, we want to turn, instead of talking about making room for more prayer, we want to look at this arrow here, making room for more worship. And uh, again, there's already been a theme of that, and uh, God is, is so good. But I want to read a lengthy uh, passage here. And so I've asked Jessica to read because, you know, it would take us, you know, 10 minutes longer. Good idea. <laughs> Thank you, Dennis. And so let's start in uh, 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 29 through 33. And we're going to look at the story this morning of Ahab and Elijah and uh, the prophet of God and uh, how he called down fire from heaven and uh, consumed the, the altar. And uh, so anyway, you got it? All right, follow along. 1 Kings 16, 29 through 33. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. All right, so you get a picture. This is the start of the story of Ahab. This is one bad man, (laughs) okay? I mean, can you imagine in all of history that your testimony would be that last statement, that he did all of this, and the, uh, he did more all of this, where was it? I don't know, 33, thank you. Yeah, and the Lord of Israel to anger than all the other kings of Israel before him. He was one bad dude. Now, in 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah comes on the scene. It says, now Elijah said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my command. And so we know Elijah is a prophet of God, and we understand that uh, he is prophesying. He felt like the Lord put in his heart that there would be no rain, no dew for years. Now, this was a big deal in this culture because they lived off the land. We still do, and you just can imagine, put into perspective what our, this past summer has been and uh, with the drought across America, how many have noticed, those that shop at Walmart or Meijer for food, that food is more expensive, right, because of supply and demand. It has been a dry year, and so we're going to pay for it this fall. And, uh, and so it, just kind of put that in perspective, it would have affected them majorly. Now, three years later... It hasn't rained unless Elijah said it was going to rain. Well, let's pick it up in chapter 18, and this is kind of a long passage. Follow along. Here we go. What? 
Read it all. Okay. <laughs> First Kings chapter 18. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of his palace. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, fifty in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Ahab had said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we will not have to kill any of our animals. So they divided the land they were to cover, Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah in another. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowed down to the ground and said, is it really you, my lord Elijah? Yes, he replied, go tell your master, Elijah is here. All right, hold on one second. Now, Obadiah is a God-fearing man, it said, and we understand that. Obadiah was a good guy, serving in the palace of Ahab. Now, it describes here that he had protected all these prophets, put them in hiding, and now what Elijah is about to ask him to do, he knows that if he goes to Ahab and says, Elijah's here, and Elijah doesn't show up, he's going to die, okay? And so that kind of gives you a perspective. What have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here? I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, fifty in each, and supplied them with food and water. He's saying, I'm a good guy. (laughs) Why are you doing this? And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. He will kill me. Elijah said, as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. All right, now it's interesting here that Elijah is describing to Ahab why they're in this famine. If you go back in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 28, in verse 22, one of the consequences of disobedience, not serving Yahweh, was severe famine. And, uh, and so he's, he's describing this to Ahab. He's saying, look, it's your fault for what you have allowed into the camp. And, uh, and so he's describing that. Also, in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 16, it's just another warning saying, look, if you allow these things into your hearts, there will be consequences. And, and so that's what uh, Elijah is, is uh, reminding Ahab about. All right, let's continue. Verse 19. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. 
But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Mm. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Come, or choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seahs of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Mm. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. Incredible. How many have heard this story before? We've heard this before, maybe if you've been in church, maybe in uh, Sunday school, that sort of thing. But what happened here is so incredible. It's interesting that Ahab, at the end of that story, or uh, Elijah, brought all the prophets. They said, don't let these prophets get away, and they burned them. Well, that was the consequence of a false prophet in Deuteronomy chapter 13. Capital punishment was uh, to be... Uh, carried out when someone was exposed for being false. And, uh, and so that's, that's what they were doing there, following the law. It wasn't just out of anger, just you know, out of spite. But, um, but this morning, I want to take this, uh, this story, and I want us to, to look at a few aspects, and then look at some things in the New Testament, and then really consider where we are today, and uh, kind of package it together, 
as we are making room for more worship. And so let's pray and ask God to bless his word. Aren't you thankful for God's word, how it can speak to us? You know, just even reading that, there may be a nugget or two that, have, that kind of pops out and, uh, uh, for you or for, for others. And uh, let that be uh, God's word for you. Father, thank you that you are helping us. Help us to understand your heart when it comes to worship. Lord, you are a jealous God, and not a jealous God in a sense of, um, you know, uh, wanting to be um, worshipped just for selfish reasons. But Lord, you are a jealous God for our hearts. You created us to worship. Lord, help us to get a picture of what you have for us today and in this next season of our lives. We pray it all for your glory, for your honor, in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. So we have this story of Ahab. He's the king. He's married to Jezebel, which um, many of you know. And they are representing the northern kingdom of Israel. And they were characterized by worshiping Baal, or uh, I think in the Hebrew it's actually Baal, but we'll say Baal for our, uh, our purposes this morning, Baal and Asher. And the Asher was the, uh, the, the woman counterpart to Baal, and they would have been you know, married and that, that sort of thing. And now before you start saying, how stupid were these Israelites to worship at the throne of Baal or Asher, let me just say that these gods, these prophets that they, that they would uh, esteem were extremely glamorous. They were extremely, uh, they, the people of Israel would have been very vulnerable to get caught up in the false uh, worship of these things. Uh, a lot of sexual appeal, if you study, especially on the, the side of Asher, uh, very, a lot of references to uh, sexual innuendos and a lot of, lot of perverse and, and uh, disgusting things uh, would happen. As, and so it would have been appealing in a worldly sense uh, to, those, to the Israelites. Now Ahab, what he had tried to do is to take Baal worship or the worship of Asher, and he didn't throw out the worship of Yahweh. He tried to blend them together. And the result is he didn't follow God because you can't blend the world and God. And they were competing for worship. Israel had a lot at stake. We understand for three years, there's this huge drought. They knew about Deuteronomy chapter 28, where they they could have uh, summoned saying, boy, we are in this drought because of our human faults, because we are not serving Yahweh. They would have understood that, but they chose to live a life of pleasure and deal with the drought than rather deal with the sin and live in God's abundance. They knew what was going on, and they thought that they were okay. They thought they were making it. And God, he sends his prophet, who had been in hiding, by the way, for years because uh, Ahab was out to get him. And he comes in, and what does Elijah do? God leads him to do something supernatural, to create this situation where there's, there's uh, two altars. And uh, basically, it's a picture of worship. Elijah worships God at that moment. And God answers by fire with a miracle, consumes the fire or consumes the altar, everything in it, and uh, and then kills off the prophets and destroys the idols at that point. What happened is God 
took that moment and brought Israel back to himself in a supernatural way. The result was that the people turned back to Yahweh. Now, if you fast forward a few years into the New Testament, after Jesus ascended into heaven and, uh, and Paul was out on his missionary journeys and all of these things, the early church had to deal with false teachers again. And it was always prevalent. In Corinth, um, the, the non-Jewish believers tried to blend the culture, the cultural gods, with the one true God. Does it sound familiar, what Ahab tried to do? They didn't throw away Yahweh. They didn't throw away God. But there was this competition for their worship. In Ephesus, they practiced uh, the, the practice of the Nicolaitans, uh, which was full of sexual immorality, the teachings of Balaam, the teachings of Jezebel. And we kind of talked about those things when we looked at Revelations chapter 2 and Revelation 3. In Romans chapter 1, verse 23, talked about there was the, they, the people exchanged God, Yahweh, for images. And the people in the New Testament were extremely vulnerable to these things. There was a lot of glamour, a lot of glitz uh, that went around these types of things. And again, they tried to blend worshiping one true God with the other gods or the cultural gods of the time. Now, how did Paul deal with this? Similar to the way that Elijah did. He worshiped. He didn't create some kind of political rally. He didn't march around the city and, and uh, you know, have some sort of picket. But as you read scripture and look at Paul's life, he was a man of prayer and he worshiped and he lifted up the name of Jesus. And the result in Paul's life was miracle after miracle after miracle. The power of the gospel of what Jesus could do was supreme in Paul's life. And we still feel the effects of his ministry today. It was powerful. And so God used him in that time to kind of correct and kind of help and kind of work uh, in their lives. Now, fast forward another 2,000 years to today. There are those who would say, I can be satisfied to live without the presence of God in my life. And even if you wouldn't say it, your lives or people's lives would reflect that kind of attitude by the way that they live. Right in 2012, maybe you know, a picture of someone came to your mind, or maybe it even describes you this morning. The idea of, I've got God in my pocket, but I'll entertain the idols of this world. To have a form of godliness, but also to be a part of the world. What kind of things, just, uh, you know, yell out a couple, what kind of idols uh, do, in our culture, do we struggle with or do people struggle with? And not, not you necessarily. <laughs> Don't call out your deepest, darkest sin. <laughs> but, you know, what kind of things? What kind of things do we struggle with? Money. Money. Absolutely. What else? Sports figures. Sports figures. Yes. A couple more. Fame. Movie stars. Is that what you said? Fame. Yes. Music. Music. Yeah. Image. Uh, you know, you know, possessions. Absolutely. There are lots and lots of things that the world would offer. Pleasures, sports, uh, even in schools, uh, you know, with relationships. You know, the fact is anything that you would put above God as a priority, you are worshiping. There's an idol there. And the, just like 
the Israelites, just like the New Testament church, we today are very vulnerable. Would we agree that the God of this world is glamorous? There's a lot to offer uh, when it comes to sin, and there's a competition for our worship. But we, when we choose to worship idols, the result in our lives is spiritual dryness. And when you look at our country, one thing you could characterize our country by is that we, in many ways, are in a spiritual famine. What the world has tried to do, what our, the American culture has tried to do, is to take God in our pocket and be a part of the world as well. There's a competition for who we are going to worship. And it's scary. And the, the, the reason it's so scary is because we think we're okay. Now, we have become experts in compromise. And when I say that, I say we, not just the world. The world is rampant. But even within the church, there's this compromise. And in many ways, there's a spiritual famine in the church, outside of the church. Our country has been plagued by it. If you've been watching the political scheme over the last um, year, you've seen exactly what I'm describing, how there's a, a, a form of godliness at times, but a whole lot of the world. Now, Ahab, he tried to blend the culture with God. He tried to bring in Baal worship, Asher worship, and the result was drought in his life, in, in the life of is, the Israelites. In the early church, the same sort of thing. They tried to blend the, uh, the, the patterns of the world, to try to bring in these false teachers. And if you look at Revelation chapter 2 and verse 3, or 2 and 3, the overriding theme of those letters to the churches was to repent and to come back to God. And that was the call uh, for those churches to get on their knees and seek the face of God and turn from their wicked ways. And today, there's nothing new under the sun. Satan is still up to his old tricks. And that, you know, you think about 450 prophets of Baal, 400 of Asher, uh, that's 850 prophets together. I was thinking about it. I'm like, 850 prophets. Well, We've got 850 TV channels that can mess up with our minds, that are, can be an idol. The internet, for sure. Magazines, music, movies, all glamorous. All has this appeal, um, striving for our worship, striving for our attention. And the culture has this strong pull, and none of us are immune to it. Would you agree? I don't care who you are, the youngest to the oldest, there's, there can be an appeal to, of pleasure and of wealth and of sports, and the list can go on and on. But I want to know, I want to share with you this morning that God is looking for a man or a woman who will say, no, we will worship. I will worship God and God alone. I will keep God as number one in my life. I will worship in spirit and truth. God is looking for students that will stand up in their schools and make a difference. God is looking for single adults that are willing to, to live a pure life and to set an example. God is looking for families that will rise up and be an example to their neighbors and to make an impact in their neighborhoods and in, the, in their communities. And I would say that God is looking 
for a church of people that are fully committed to God, to worship Him and Him alone. And God, I believe, is drawing us exactly there to take a stand, to choose to do it for His glory, for His honor. And the result of that when that starts to happen, when individuals start to take a stand for, for righteousness, when individuals or families, they, you will bring others out of the spiritual famine that they have found themselves in. You will be a light in your school, students. You will be a light in your community, in your workplace. You will be a light at the club. You will be a light wherever you go. And that spiritual darkness will begin to see the glory of God and it will bring a city and a country back to Jesus. Because God, in the Old Testament, he answered by fire with miraculous power. In the New Testament, God answered Paul's prayer and there was the power of the gospel went forth. And I believe that God is the same yesterday as he is today, as he will be forever. And God is looking for people that will trust him, that he can trust to do miracles through their lives. And he's calling us to a deeper worship. In the Ahab's case and, uh, with Elijah, it would, God answered with fire, and then it rained, and God provided supernaturally. It affected those around him. Even those that didn't fall on their face that day when, when all the prophets uh, were burned up and, and seized, it affected them. It was a blessing to them. And the fact is, when we talked about sowing seeds, that you know, 75% will, will be discarded, Right? And 25% will, will create 100-fold, 60-fold, 30-fold. And we understand that. But when, we, when God starts to bless a church or bless a community of believers and bless your life, it's going to affect those around you. And people are going to say, what's different about your family? What are you doing? What is it? And it gives you an opportunity to say, you know what? God is number one in my life. Why? It's because I've chose to worship, to worship God and to worship Him alone. I believe that God is calling us to make room for more worship in our lives. John chapter 4, verse 23, you might be familiar with it, that God is looking for worshipers. He's looking for people that will commit themselves fully to him. That it becomes a lifestyle. And their time and their talent and your energy will not be wasted on the things of this world, but will be focused on God. That you won't be consumed with sin or the glamorous life of the world, you won't allow compromise to get a stronghold in your life. And it starts with each and every one of us personally. Making a personal decision. God, I am going to serve you. I'm going to worship you and you alone. And then, individually, then we come together for God's glory. That's what the body of Christ is. To see God's glory 
And in Acts, they prayed and they worshiped and there was good teaching. They highlighted one true God and it affected the church. It affected the, the, the whole uh, community and it affected the world. We are still feeling the effects of it today. In Israel's case, they fell on their face and found themselves saying, God, we trust you. We didn't believe it before. We tried to blend the culture of the world and our own, and, and we tried to keep God in our pocket, keep Yahweh on the side. And they, it didn't work, but they fell on their faces. And today, God wants to make room for us in true worship. And what's going to happen, I believe, is that there will be no more of this spiritual destruction in our families or in our culture. God wants to touch the lakeshore with his goodness, that we will affect what God is doing, not only here, but across the globe. No more letting our families fall. No more letting our kids slip, slip into the darkness. God is calling us to a higher standard. I believe it. And it takes all of us. But just like the Israelites were vulnerable, just like the early church was vulnerable to the false gods and all those things, we are vulnerable as well. It's easy to get caught up in the things of the world, isn't it? I, I know it is for me. But we cannot blend the world with our God. Because if we do, we might as well just serve the devil because you can't keep God in your pocket and try to live like the world. This morning, God is calling us to a deeper worship. He wants us to worship him with everything that's within us. But the reality is, there are some of us here who have allowed compromise to slip in to our lives. And God is giving a warning call like he used Elijah in the Old Testament, how he used Paul in the, in the New Testament. God is saying this morning, wake up. Stop compromising. Deal with the sin in our lives, in your lives. And God, he wants us to make room for him once again. This morning, if you are found yourself here and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, in just a moment, we're going to call the church to pray and to worship. We're just going to ask you to come forward uh, when a few others come forward, and we're going to pray that God would save you. And there's a, uh, the, uh, the truth that when you call on the name of Jesus, you are saved. And we'll, we can talk you through that and make sure that, you, that, we're, that your heart is ready to receive. And, and I believe that God wants to do that. But for those of us that are believers, that we've given our hearts to the Lord, I want to know how many of us this morning, as we kind of consider these stories, it resonates in our hearts that there is a spiritual famine in our country. Would you agree that there's, that there's a darkness uh, that, there is, that the world has tried to, to, or the church has tried to blend the culture with, with the world. I, am I right at that? Are you, you tracking with me? And I believe that God is calling us in this community to be different from that. Amen. And I believe that God 
wants to start this morning with our worship, surrendering to Jesus, saying, God, we want to give you everything. And what I want to challenge us to do is that in the next few moments that we will consider our own lives. And if there's compromise, if there's sin in our lives, we need to bring it to the altar, period. And no one's going to look at you and be like, oh, I wonder what, you know, wonder what Joe's dealing with or wonder what Susie's dealing with. No, we've all got stuff to deal with, don't we? And not only do we want to look within, but then we want to stand up and say, God, use me to be a light wherever I go. And if that's your heart this morning, ultimately to say, God, I want to be used for you. There's room in my heart for more worship. Would you just stand right where you are? And, uh, and let's go ahead. And uh, I want us to spend a few moments in worship and uh, let God just minister to our hearts this morning. And if you want to slip out and come and find a place, we'll dismiss here in a few moments. Above the singing, God, above the music. But let's just commit our hearts the to the Lord and everything that he has for us let this morning. Hallelujah. Let's worship the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let your name be we worship you, Lord. We worship you, God. And we commit God, all that we are. Search our hearts, God. Everything that we do. And we reach towards you. God, forgive Jesus. us for the compromise. Amen. Forgive us, God, for the sin in our lives. this morning for God to move. For you. We need you, Lord. We need you, God. I surrender, surrender to you, God. If you want to surrender your heart to God, saying, God, use me to be a light. Let's just lift our hands, or maybe you'd slip out, maybe find a spot to worship the Lord and seal these moments in our hearts. Praise you, Lord. Drench my soul in and has a stronghold in your life, 
I'm going to challenge you to come forward and find yourself on your knees and say, God, forgive me to cleanse me of these things. And don't worry about what your neighbor says or what they think. You need Jesus to forgive you of your sin, to clear those accounts. And this is your opportunity. Don't miss it this morning. Join us at the altar. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you. our lives this morning, God, holy to you, Lord, that you would be number one, God, there'd be nothing else that would creep in, nothing else, God, that would have a stronghold, God, but Lord, we want to serve you, Lord, when you look for a man or a woman with a heart after you, God, I pray that you would look at us, God, look at us, God, Lord, that you would have your way in our lives, God, we would be fully utilized, for your glory, for your honor, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. someone at work that you know that maybe they served God once but they're far away from him today and I want you to start to intercede this morning on their behalf God is preparing us to receive more souls we want to call out asking God that he would save people through our ministry for his glory for his honor 
Jabez prayed that God would expand our territory. Just call out those names to the Lord. God, we pray for our friends, for our family, our co-workers, God. We call them out by name for Jesse and for Rhonda, God. Lord, we pray for Julie and for Matt. God, we pray, God, for our friends, God. Lord, they need you, God. Help us, God, to be a light. Help our lives to be a life of worship, God, that would go into a spiritual, dry land and provide light and rain and that miracles would happen because of our lives. Lord, I pray. Lord, help us, God, to surrender, God, to be used for you, for your glory, God, for your might. God, I pray, put a hedge of protection around us as we go, God. Oh, Lord, we pray. We surrender to you, God. Oh, God, we call upon you. We call upon you, Jesus. Oh, God, call us, God. Oh, to a deeper worship, God. We don't want to know anything, Lord, but you, God. Oh, God, we call upon you, God. Oh, Lord, I pray. Show it up, oh, God. God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We praise your name. We praise your name. We praise your name, God. We thank you, Lord. We praise you, God. We worship you, God. We worship you, God. We honor you, God. We lift you up, God. We lift you up, God. You are in control, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 Lord, hallelujah. And Lord, I pray that you would use us for your glory, for your honor, in Jesus' name, amen and amen.
Hallelujah. You are dismissed as the Lord leads you. You can stay as long as you want and pray and we'll worship together. But go in the grace of God and use those seeds, those prayer cards. Uh, give those out today at lunch and this week, wherever you go, and let it be. Uh, let God use those to multiply what God is doing here. Amen? Amen. Amen. Go in the grace of God. Amen. We reach towards you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Surrender